It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Tortoise. Hello, I'm Giles Wittell and I'm Tortoise's deputy editor. Just so you know, we recorded this episode before the by-election results in Wellingborough and Kingswood. And also before it was announced that Alexei Navalny, a prominent critic of Vladimir Putin, had died in prison. So that's why we don't discuss either of those stories in this episode. But I'm sure we'll get into what happened to Alexei Navalny on Monday's episode. And in the meantime, you can listen to past podcasts that we've made about Navalny on the Tortoise app right now. It's the week ending Friday the 16th of February from Tortoise. Welcome to the news meeting. Really was a bye-bye series of by-elections. Voters said goodbye to two Conservative candidates. 14 years of Conservative government have sucked the hope out of our country. Alexei Navalny, an opposition figure in Russia, has died. Israel's military says it launched airstrikes on Hezbollah targets in Lebanon after a rocket attack killed an Israeli soldier this week. David Cameron says that you should vote through funding for Ukraine. What do you say to that? David Cameron needs to worry about his own country, and frankly, he can kiss my ass. So... To help me work out what should lead the news today, I'm joined by Tortoise's political editor, Kat Nealon, and reporter Stephen Armstrong. Hello. Hello to you both. And we're also joined by the journalist, restaurant critic, and master chef judge, Jimmy Famarewa. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm really very self-conscious because you are already an expert in the world of podcasting and host of your own show called Where's Home Really?, what tips do you have? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, get comfy because I've got loads. No, I, <laughs> I genuinely, um, it's the most fun job, I think, particularly as somebody that is a journalist and predominantly works in the written form, to get to just have conversations um, is the best bit, really. And so I think I try to keep them as warm and natural. And I think what people come to podcasts for is that kind of human interaction and just the right amount of messiness. So, you know, sounds like you guys are doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with long story short. So phrased as a headline, you have to tell me what you want to talk about. Kat, do you want to go first? Cryptic cat, I should call you. Well, mine's less cryptic than normal, right. actually. It's Rishi's recession, or is it? Okay. Uh, Stephen? I'm going to savagely misquote the um, opening uh, explainer to Romeo and Juliet, where it goes, from old conflict, fresh mutiny arises. Jimmy, what's your long story short? 
So mine is veg issue. How plant-based eating went bust. Oh, nice. wow. Okay. Already feeling the third place looming. <laughs> <laughs> is this is what Kat does. She sort of ups the ante or is that downs Down the ante? <laughs> right. I kitchen sink it. You certainly do that. Right. Uh, and anyway, we're going to start with you. You've predicted this for a while. I uh, have. We are officially in recession, but I'm confused. Are we in recession as of today or retrospectively realising that we were in recession a bit ago? Yes. Um, the Office of National Statistics said on Thursday that the UK's GDP fell in the last quarter of last year by 0.3%. And on the back of the previous quarter, which was down by 0.1%, that means that we are in a technical recession. Now, how serious that is will depend on your political viewpoints. Um, but the sort of economics of it is interesting. And, and I'll just touch on that briefly yeah. before I get into the number of my, my uh, pitch, which is, as you have just alluded to, it is historical. And there is certainly the suggestion from various experts that this year will be better, next year will be better still. So um, we are potentially, if we kind of focus too much on the fact that we're in a recession, likely to uh, talk the country down in, in to sort of paraphrase uh, various mm. politicians. Um, there is also the possibility, we see it frequently, that vi figures could be revised and revised upwards. They can also be revised downwards, but it seems that, you know, that that, that is certainly a possibility. It, it is a movable feast. Um, and the third point that I wanted to mention is that there is still this kind of question mark or a growing question mark, I should say, about the use of the word recession and what it actually means, because um, it's a bit of a sort of uh, it's a bit of a fudge. Um, the FT has has changed its definition. It's now referring to this as a stagnation rather than a recession. Um, and um, there are sort of others that are kind of jumping on the same bandwagon saying, you know, well, actually, when it's only sort of minus one percent, is that does that really qualify? But I think the most important figure that that was out um, at the same time as this is the fact that GDP per person has dropped every quarter of 2023, and in fact hasn't grown since the first quarter of 2022. So that is seven quarters, the longest unbroken run without a per capita GDP growth since records began. Wow. So even if you take out all the sort of you know yes buts no buts, is this you know is this actually a recession? In terms of what people are feeling mm. right now, it is very bad. Um, and I'd be interested to get your take on what it's like as a restaurateur, kind of, mm. you know, in that kind of trade, uh, sort of what it's like at the kind of coal front, because I can imagine restaurants are kind of really feeling that. Yeah, somebody that covers uh, restaurants and hospitality and writes about it, it does feel like this, you know, recession confirmation is that idea of giving a name to something that people have already been feeling in like various forms, isn't it? And I think, as you say, the percentage points and there may be a lot of political jockeying over like whether this actually qualifies and sort of, you know, little millimetres of growth here and there and sort of people um, juicing, juicing the stats in some ways. But yeah, I, you know, so many restaurants are closing. Um, I saw yesterday a really acclaimed restaurant in Sheffield called Duke and Lowe, I think, founded by two brothers called Luke and Joe, just to explain that. <laughs> uh, it's quite an unusual name. Um, they've closed their restaurant after seven years. And the in that way that people can kind of get to the nub of something they said the model for hospitality is broken mm. um 
in is that also costs um yeah staff costs, i think it's that yeah well. it's all of it and there was a big campaign in manchester led by the celebrity chef uh, simon rimmer about reducing the vat rate and kind of that that is just making life so impossible for so many restaurants and and yeah it's that funny thing isn't it i write about it from the point of view of go here definitely get the burrata this place is really fun get this cocktail and you're kind of you're trying to report on it in that kind of um experiential quite fun way but you can't deny the reality like i i feel it in you know i'll be like oh i might get along to that restaurant that looks interesting and then it closes before i've even yeah. had a chance to but yeah. to really um get there so yeah there was it's, one it's, that closed in blackheath recently yeah, which i exactly, meant to go yeah. to for my birthday yeah. and didn't and now i'm like yeah, I'm you've never got to be you've got to be quick off the mark yeah. yeah and i think yeah it does just feel like there's a been a building um lack of recognition for you know what people in so many industries are going through minus 0.3 is always obviously worse for sunak and jeremy hunt than say plus 0.1 but how much of the political damage that this will inflict is a result of the fact that they had said as one of their pledges we're going to we're going to grow the economy so the economics framing is one thing and i think the recession is perhaps a slightly dry sounding term that will just reinforce what people have been calling the cost of living crisis and, uh, until now the political framing is obviously the kind of key thing for for me as a political journalist but also kind of uh, thinking ahead to this year as a big election year so um firstly this was one of rishi sunak's five pledges to grow the economy. And now we have a very definitive uh, proof that that has not Mm. been the case. Um, He does keep referring to the fact that he has managed to halve inflation. Um, I would say that the reason why I say Rishi's recession or is it is that just as I don't actually think he's responsible for having halved inflation, I don't really think he's responsible for, for the fact that we're in recession. I think the recession is largely external factors, i.e. post-COVID hangover and the war in Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, in this studio, perhaps you're Liz also Truss. allowed to use the B word as well. Oh, yes. Do you want to say it? Because I'm not Brexit. sure I can bring myself to it. Well, we have done worse than everybody else, haven't we? I mean, that's the thing. Is it's it's no. kind of a British recession okay. much more than anyone... In a Western democracies, we are the ones who are having it hardest. I think I read in the Sensemaker this morning that we're doing better than Australia and Canada, are we not? The outlook is better here than for for Germany and France. Oh, right. uh, Worse than for Spain, Australia and Canada. Okay. So um, I'm sure we'll kind of hear quite a lot about that. I mean, again, I think when it comes to the sort of politics of it, people won't care Mm. you know people don't care whether we're better off than people in France they just care that they can't go to the lovely restaurants that they're (laughs) reading about Um, so firstly Rishi Sunak hoist by his own petard everyone said when he um, launched these five pledges oh they're easy they're really vague and and you know he's just said grow the economy but not said by how much he could have hit his target if it had been if it had grown by 0.01% it hasn't does this cut through first with voters and second as a story Yes, it does, I think, because we are at hyper-politicised times in a pre-election year. And because this recession is not just about the big picture, this is about, as both of you have been talking about, how we live our lives and how we Mm. spend our time. The prison nightclub chain across the country, which my daughters go to, is closing most of its its outlets because people can't afford to go nightclubbing anymore. Mm. Now, that, I think, is 
you know, we can't afford to have fun. And I think that does affect voters. Mm. It does just on the politics, Kat. It uh, shift the attention from a week of horrendous headlines for Labour and Rochdale, mm. right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because obviously up until this point, it has been Labour that has been having the absolute nightmare of a week. And, um, and it looks as though, you know, obviously depending on the results, and we're recording this before the results of the by-election, but it looks as though uh, the Conservatives could end up being in a worse uh, situation than Labour. That said, I don't think that means it's a a win for Labour. I think it's we've ended up in a world where both parties are having a terrible time of it. And that's not good really for anyone. Thank you, Kat. Stephen, let's move on to your pitch, which is worrying all round. Yes, and I think this is this is a, one of those stories where language and definitions and and what we're clear about is very very important. The the rise in anti-Semitic attacks in the UK, and I should also note the, in, importantly the rise in Islamophobic attacks as well. Both are recorded um, huge increases. Does it matter which? More, you know, does it matter that there's been more anti-Semitic attacks than Islamophobic attacks? To some degree, yes, I would say that's the significant point. There is a there is a um, an academic at Birkbeck College, David Feldman, who talks about anti-Semitism as having a reservoir in the culture, and he was talking um, recently about how there is a committed anti-Semitism in a culture, and then there are moments which cause it to bubble up, and so the conflict in Gaza is clearly prompting these attacks, the rise in Islamophobia, the rise in anti-Semitism, both following the 7th of October attacks. But the the, the rises have been huge. The Community Security Trust reports 4,103 attacks in 2023, as opposed to 1,662 in 2022. In the whole of 2022? Yes. Now, that's self-reporting. They say that two-thirds of those 4,103 attacks came after the 7th of October. So we can see it is directly linked in that way to to the events in the Middle East. The police have reported similar kinds of stats. I mean, Greater Manchester Police, it's 74 attacks in 23 versus 15 in 22. This is for the last part of the year. British Transport Police, 87 versus 8. Metropolitan Police, 218 versus 15. It is worth saying, again, important to say, West Yorkshire Police, 49 Islamophobic attacks in 2023 towards the end of the year versus 29. These um, have been community friction events of a monumental degree. And the lines are drawn in ways which I don't think we necessarily recognise in previous years. We've noticed uh, Jewish leaders asking the far right not to march with them Mm. on those uh, marches at the Mm. end of last year. We see in Northern Ireland the unionist communities flying Israeli flags and the uh, nationalist communities flying Palestinian flags. This is a conflict that is becoming integrated into your culture wars as much as it is a conflict in the Middle East, which is all very sophisticated and complex. But the point is, there are 4,103 people, mainly young, lots of school children, lots of students who Mm. are suffering violent attacks on our streets. I was looking at a report on the Community Security Trust numbers, and it indicated that there was an immediate spike on October 7th before the Israeli army had gone in, in other words. Is that significant? Well, the again, the Community Security Trust is a self-reporting figures and, it ha- and so it has a probably a more intimate conversation with the people who account, um, recount their attacks. And they talked about attacks being done in celebration of the 7th of October attacks as opposed to in mm-hmm. protest against the Israeli army's activities. So there is an element of those attacks which is people who are celebrating what Hamas did. Now, again, that's 
I'm not doubting the Community Security Trust, but it is, it's important to say I, I didn't interview any of those people myself. But that appears to be the case, that there are people who mounted attacks in sympathy with what Hamas were doing at the time. Jimmy, you travel the country perhaps mm. more than most of us. Uh, what, what do you make of these numbers? Do, I mean, just coming back to Stephen's original point about the importance of, of definition, do you kind of accept the definitions being used of, of what amounts to an attack, whether it's anti-Semitic or Islamophobic? Yeah, I think um, you can't you can't ignore those numbers. And I do think that having written a book um, called Settlers about um, African diaspora community and history uh, in the UK and in London, going through that and researching that, you see, you know, reporting of um, racist incidents and things like that. And I do think that... Um, I think you have to be careful because people, in terms of people trying to raise the bar on what constitutes an attack, and it's kind of that's often people from outside of communities, mm. and you know how do you like measure, yeah, yeah. you know, fearfulness, and kind of how do you measure intimidation? How do you measure those things? Um, so yeah, I think that that yeah, we have to kind of take it seriously, and I think as Stephen was talking there, it's it's such a it's such an inflamed moment, isn't it? And and it's such a difficult thing to to get a grip on. And I think what strikes me is that there seems to be from online rhetoric spilling over into real life that there's there's such um, uh, uh, there's such kind of frightening coalitions of like groups and people that are kind of um, uh, seemingly. Uh, drawing from this reservoir of Islamophobia mm. and uh, anti-Semitism, like it does just seem like there's um, yeah, such an inflamed period. And I think it, it does us no good to, to, to diminish or to, to say, oh, that, that wasn't really an attack or but if you this is getting overblown. That, mm. if, if you accept that mm. argument about a pool of mm. sort of hatred that all it has to do is is bubble over yeah, hatred yeah. or ignorance call yeah. it what you will yeah it, it makes it doubly unsettling doesn't it because you get no reassurance by looking back on better times mm, or, yeah or very little yeah yeah um cat how how will these numbers be interpreted in the labor party i mean is, does it add to the headaches for, for starmer Clearly, Labour has had a difficult week in terms of anti-Semitism, having had to initially defend and then ultimately suspend its candidate in Rochdale. And then another parliamentary candidate was found to have made comments in the same meeting and he has also had to be suspended. So it's been bad uh, for Labour. But but just picking up on what Stephen was talking about, I think that the the... This is strayed from the political world. Okay, so initially uh, we saw a lot of pressure on politicians. You know, people have had death threats. They've had their offices targeted. Uh, some MPs have stepped down. Mike Freer being one of them uh, because of the level of vitriol they have received over this exact uh, issue. But I was really struck also when all of this Rochdale stuff was kicking off. When I saw about what happened at the Soho Theatre, and I don't know whether you picked up on that, yes. Stephen, um, where there was a comedian. Um, Paul Curry, who uh, the, towards the end of his show brought on two flags, a Ukraine flag and a, and a Palestine flag. Uh, there were a couple of people in the audience who uh, were, I think, Israeli. 
Chateau, uh, yeah, I mean, what happened movie? was it's, it's the finale of his act, mm. and he's a, he's a silent clown. So the the finale of his act to, to get a to essentially to try to get a standing ovation, he brought those two flags on, laid them on the stage, and then encouraged everyone to stand up and sort of celebrate these two flags. Mm. And there was there was a, a young Israeli um, IT guy sitting in the front row who didn't stand. Mm. So the silent clown then spoke and said, why didn't you stand? And, and he was said, swearing at them. Yeah, well, he initially said, why didn't you stand? He said, I w- didn't you enjoy the show? I did until you brought out the flag. And then he swore at him and threw him out of his show. But it was also the crowd. The crowd, yeah. the audience turned against these people and was and was shouting at them and That's, swearing yeah. at them. And, um, and uh, it just, it felt like a very uh, visceral, quite terrifying moment. Um, you could imagine being in that guy's uh, shoes and just feeling, you know, surrounded by hatred and uh, there have been other incidents the Yoko Ono um, exhibition I think where there was a a protest as well so it does feel as though it's starting to spread not just from the purely political but into the cultural as well and obviously we've seen protests outside cafes and restaurants and so on as well so it feels as though it is it's certainly not going away and it does feel as though it is building into a bigger thing. Quick news uh, question Stephen if you're writing this story are you leading with the numbers or are you going to bring the Paul Curry incident up to the top or another incident up to the top? How do you how do you make it work as a story? I mean, my personal fury with the Paul Curry incident is that dis- uh, of all the forms of art that should never have taken that action in its performance, comedy, a comedian, which is a, an art form where people like Lenny Bruce have used foul language on stage to make intelligent points about race and about offence... That is the art form where you should know better. You should know that you have to deal with these things. You have to bring the audience into what you're doing. You can say what you like as long as you have a point to make. And he did not. So he not only broke the rules of offence and he insulted and scared someone, but he's the worst person to do it. So I would probably start with that because that just amongst the that at most of those numbers make me angry. That story made me depressed. We should say in relation to Paul Curry that the Soho Theatre has done an investigation and banned him from appearing at the venue in the future and that media organisations have approached him for comment and he has yet to provide one. Okay, Stephen, thanks very much for that. Uh, We'll take a break and then we'll hear what Jimmy thinks should lead the news. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, it's Tomini from Tortoise. This podcast is sponsored by EY. Safe, efficient and reliable railways help to keep us all connected, thanks to Network Rail. Yet, maintenance on the railways is a risky and sometimes fatal business. At Network Rail, two previous attempts to invigorate its track worker safety programmes had failed, leaving employees feeling sceptical that the organisation could ever get railway safety right. Since 2019, EY teams have worked with Network Rail to deliver a transformation that improved safety protocols and changed employee behaviour around safety. Network Rail Rail Hub, a new digital safety platform and app, 
eliminated inaccurate paper trails and worked offline, so it could be used by workers in remote locations. Since the platform was introduced, near misses affecting maintenance workers on the railways have fallen by 40%. Read the full story at ey.com. Jimmy, what have you got? As of Monday, the 19th of February, Pret will be closing the last two of its vegetarian-only green Pret outlets. Oh, I can hardly bear it. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, flags at half-mast, you know, uh, green armbands, um, all the rest. gone before I've had a chance <laughs> to go to one of them. <laughs> so uh, this news really struck me because it comes hot on the heels of, like, building almost like snowballing stories about um, vegetarian and vegan restaurants just being really imperiled. And also there were all these stories about the vegan bubble bursting in terms of product sales in supermarkets really dwindling. Um, Two, at least two national chains, a burger place based in the West Country called Ui and a Macclesfield uh, restaurant, a vegan places that in the past couple of weeks have added meat to their menus with both founders who were once kind of, you know, evangelically committed to plant-based eating now admitting that the business model of veganism is not a viable one and vegan only. Um, this, this is backed by figures towards the end of last year. Uh, GWI um, reported a 15% drop in the number of people identifying as vegan in the last two years in the UK. Um, and it just feels to me like the Pret uh, thing is almost like a canary in the mine for like a bigger shift in the ways people are eating that I think really ties in with a lot of the things we're talking about related to the recession. You've got anxieties about ultra processed food in there. You've got the uh, boom and uh, growing knowledge of things like regenerative farming, something that I'm seeing increasingly in my role as a restaurant critic is that there's greater nuance in the choices that people are making mm -hmm. in terms of how they're eating and look you can look at it and say this is symptomatic of a struggling hospitality industry Pret made this big you know hoopla over we're going to go veg only in these shops it was kind of a very effective PR you know PR exercise and now, because there's a there's a less healthy uh, economic outlook and restaurants are struggling, that you can't be niche in the same way. So you can look at it in that way, or you can see this as a sign um, alongside the stagnating numbers around Veganuary, alongside um, that fall in the number of people that are identifying as vegan. This is a lasting shift in the way that people are you know, choosing to spend their money on food, choosing to eat, choosing to identify. And there are all sorts of interesting reasons for that. Okay. But when let's just stick with the business model mm. for a second. Mm, yeah. When people say the business model isn't working and you, they paint this poignant picture of vegan restaurateurs having to add, add yeah. meat to the menu, I mean, that yeah. must be hard for them yeah. personally. But mm. is it chiefly because, as you say, there are simply fewer people identifying or do you get better margins on meat? I think there must be a little bit of all of that. But I think what you can't do, particularly in the atmosphere we've got now with the cost of living crisis, with, you know, now pronounced as recession, 
is specialisms are just getting harder and harder if you are kind of whereas previously there was so much money and onus and celebrities were investing in companies the likes of Lewis Hamilton and Leonardo DiCaprio investing in these vegan fast food brands I think what a lot of these people are reporting and it's the the closure of other specialist restaurants bear it out that you can't really be that specialist anymore they're trying to they need they can't be that choosy about who comes through their doors really so i think adding meat to the menu and there are quotes to back this up is kind of we can't do this anymore those days those days are gone like yeah yeah, i think in terms of the business model the idea that you would bring more people in and that you would be rewarded financially and kind of culturally for focusing on plant-based eating those days are seemingly over which i I think is huge one of my kids did sort of two years as a vegetarian Mm. and then said the heck with that, I'm just hungry all the time. <laughs> and, and we kind of heaved a sigh of relief, uh, full disclosure, because it just made catering for everybody so mm. much simpler and cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we weren't doing two meals at a time or all struggling along with, with recipe books mm. to try and cook well. But anyway, you don't... Yeah, you know. look, and I wonder <laughs> if it cuts both ways. So um, restaurant owners and hospitality entrepreneurs are feeling the squeeze they're looking at the bottom line they're in a fight for survival so they either change their business model to um, add meat to the menu and then I think on the other side the diner they're feeling the pinch as well and so I think there is something to be said for um, maybe some of those kind of morals that in another era would have been like you know watertight like people are kind of like you know, people are just, uh, there's there's a bit more of a, a feeling of like, there's a bit more of a blurred line mm. in terms of the ways in which people are eating. And the, there are choices that you make in times of, you know, a healthy economy and sort of infinite choice or whatever. Yeah. And there are choices that you make when times are hard and you kind of maybe have got to, well, you can't find exactly what you want. Like, you know, you're sort of, um, you're more inclined to, to maybe sort of let those morals or those ethical values slip. Cat, one of the veggie prets is actually just down the road from here. How sad are you that it's closing? Well, I've never frequented it, but I have I have on that occasion says it all, really, I have it? on occasion gone to a veggie prep just because as is well documented within Tortoise HQ, I have a dairy intolerance and I know if I go to a veggie prep I can guarantee that mm. it's not cross-contaminated with actual milk whereas other prets, you know, I can't be so sure. <laughs> mm. Anyway, um but I do think this is interesting. So my mum is vegan. And um, actually, when we kind of go out for her birthday or whatever, we will often try and find a vegan special mm. restaurant for her because then we'll know that it's going to be a bit of a treat for her. But in general, although I, from time to time, eat vegan, you know, probably once or twice a week, I would say, uh, if I was eating out, I would very rarely choose a vegan option mm. because it's a treat, right? So you yeah. normally go for something that you don't or can't cook at home. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder whether in this kind of world, although I think a lot of people have kind of stabilised around doing a sort of, you know, a couple of days a week of, of, of sort of plant based eating, mm. whether that may be also a thing that people kind of think, well, I'm not going to use my my vegan day on, a, on an evening out. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have the steak yeah, um, yeah. because I, I'm not going to get that at home. Do you think that the sort of vegan movement has kind of overreached and put people off both mm. in terms of it sort of evangelical? You must always be vegan mm. and we won't have any kind of half measures. And also then with the kind of 
you know, transitioning more as as it's kind of evolved into uh, let's find meat alternatives mm. rather than just cooking without meat. Yeah, I, I think um, what you were saying there anecdotally about that kind of flexitarianism, which, you know, as a lot of people have rightly pointed out, is just the word for just like eating. Like, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> flexitarian. Oh, OK, you, you eat. Like, um, I, I do think there's a, there's, there's a growing feeling that I've kind of like sensed and you see it reflected on menus and you see it reflected in behavior that people will kind of pick and choose and actually what's less important is the plant-based component of it is um, sustainability like there's a there's a really influential restaurant silo in uh, east london that is famously zero waste restaurant started in brighton and it's not a vegan restaurant but Almost everything on there has uh, has a conscientiousness about environmental impact. So you'll get, a, you know, rope-grown mussels that kind of purify the water. You'll get kind of um, ex-dairy cow steak because it's kind of, you know. And so I do think that there's been a shift there. And also things like ultra-processed food, people... Um, uh, being conscious about things like blood sugar spikes and things like that. I, I feel like it's almost as though that vegan absolutism has been overridden by uh, more pressing concerns and being a little bit more nuanced in, in the choices that you're making. Stephen, briefly, yeah. I've got to ask you, do you think this is a big story like Jimmy's arguing or is it a little story about the closure of two green prets? I'm really fascinated because I don't know the answer to that and I think it, the, it, whether it is or isn't is really significant. Mm. So the question is, and one question is, while researching this, you see, well, there's a lot of the food that was put out by um, people looking to cash in on the vegan mm. fad, which were ultra processed mm -hmm. it was clearly food companies just chucking out to ride the, ride the wave and that did a lot of harm particularly in cost terms and in and it, it made th you know that really damaged so the question is i suppose how much of this is a was a genuine movement of people who were making a conscientious decision to save the planet to reduce you know uh, their eating of meat and how much of it was a fad i noticed that zac efron miley cyrus and bendit cumberbatch have all stopped being vegan so how much of it is celebrity <laughs> and i think what's really critical is working out why okay so those are the stories veggie prep closing anti-semitism on the rise and it is a recession now we have to work out which one leads the news so I ask you which one you think should lead and you cannot pick your own. Jimmy. I think I'm going to go for recession. Um, I think, I, I, I really do think like the anti-Semitism and Islamophobia attacks is, is something that we do all need to kind of deal with and account for. But the recession just feels so overriding for all that it does feel like giving a name to something that we that we talk about and analyse constantly. It feels significant, both politically and uh, culturally. OK, Kat? I'm going to go for Stephen's story, despite, I have to say, special honourable mention oh, to you. Jimmy for the best long story short that any guest has ever pitched. <laughs> Veg Issue is my official favourite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but Stephen's story, I think it says so much about where we are at the minute as a society and and it troubles me. Well, I am going to go for Jimmy's because I think that in Jimmy's is the recession. I think if you were to really dig down into what's going on with the 
closure of two press to, uh, to do with things, I think you would discover a great deal about the UK. And sometimes I love those stories where you take just one thing and you look really hard at it. The New York Times did this once with a restaurant bill very early on in the cost of living crisis, and it just costed out everything on the bill this year versus everything on the bill last year. When you look at what happens with something so vital as food, you really understand what's going on with us as people. Okay, great. Thank you. Now I have to tell you what I think. And here's what I think. Um, I agree, Stephen, that in a sense, and I agree with you, Jimmy, that um, in a sense, uh, the closure of two prep veggies, although ostensibly a small story, is part of a bigger one. And that story is the recession. But they are both honourable second equal. Because it feels very incremental. And uh, I'm going to cheat by um, putting the anti-Semitic attack numbers at the top of the bulletin uh, while acknowledging that I gave you an opening, Stephen, by inviting you to bring in the story of Paul Curry. And uh, (laughs) that's going to lead the news because Mm -hmm. even though that was last week's story, you pitched it with such passion that I think, uh, especially here at Tortoise, where we take time to consider... I think it will be possible to uh, frame the story through that lens and give it a focus um, because it's a very difficult one to get a hold of otherwise. So uh, the rise in anti-Semitic and Islamophobic attacks leads the bulletin, in uh, my opinion, uh, but we we nose off with the really shocking story of Paul Curry at the Soho Theatre and uh, the recession through the lens of vegetarian prep, brings up the rear. So that's it for this episode of the News Meeting. If you think there's a story we've missed, then you can email us on newsmeeting at tortoisemedia.com. Kat and Stephen, see you soon. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us and giving us a tour, as Daniel Defoe might have put it, through the whole island of Great Britain. (laughs) Thank you very much. Before we go, I have to uh, let you know that next Wednesday evening you can join us in our newsroom for a live recording of the podcast. We'll be joined by Big Issue founder John Bird and the journalist Louise Tickle. To be in the audience, go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash book. James will be back on Monday. Have a very good weekend. Tortoise. 